Our scripture reading today is found from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14 through 22. And our message today is entitled, Moral Laws Fulfilled. Love your neighbor. This is the Lord's word. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it. Lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Good morning, everyone. Oh, it's good to see everyone this morning. The pollen is out. I don't know about some of you, but I think I'm feeling my allergies coming back to me. So please do excuse me if my voice sounds a little bit louder or, or stuffed up. But uh, I pray that the Lord will make his word clear to you, to all of us today. So as we continue this series on Deuteronomy, we remember once again that God saves you out of his good pleasure out of grace. He saves you just as you are. There is no need for us to, to bring anything to God. We don't come with a changed personality or changed character, but we come with our sins. And God, by his graciousness, simply loves you. This is the good news that we have. We don't need to overthink it. Don't overthink God's love for you. Just receive it. In fact, the more you think about it, the more sort of crazy you'll get because it's unfathomable of how someone who is perfect can love someone like us. After the graciousness of God, he gives us his law. And his law is intended for us to, to grow in our faith towards him but also one of the main purpose of the law is to remember that we are saved by grace. It is to remember that we are in a relationship with God. The law is not evil for us who've experienced the grace of God, but the law is good. It helps us to know that we belong to him. 
and it gives us direction in how we can serve him and repay him with simply our worship and nothing more. And in this series, we see how Moses instructs the second generation of people about three types of laws that they are to follow. Uh, the ceremonial law. In order to prepare sacrifices so they, they understand the, the, the heights of God's holiness and the need for sacrifice and cleansing in their lives. We saw the civil laws in order, how does this group of people, this nation, how, how will they function? How will they work? And today, we're going to go over what we have are, are the moral laws. The laws of how to act or to treat God and how to act and how to treat one another. And these moral laws are the, the foundation or, or, or the, the foundation of, in the fact, of, of all of our relationship with the Lord. And these moral laws sort of underpin both the ceremonial law and the civil law as well. We know from Scripture that, that the moral law in Deuteronomy, uh, we, we see in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments talking about, thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not fashion idol um, in my likeness or anyone else's likeness. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, thou shalt honor your mother and your father, and thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet, and, and so forth. And we see that all these moral laws have to do with relationship, with how I am to treat God and how I am to treat one another. And we know that as we go through scriptures and even as we go through Luke chapter 10, you know, when, when one of the teachers of the law asked about, you know, Jesus, how do I, what do I, what do, I do to, to be saved? And, and Jesus says, well, you got to keep the law. Well, what's the law? And he says, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so at the very root of it, we can simply say that the Ten Commandments is simply that. What does the Lord want us to do? What is the moral law? It's to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now what do we see in Deuteronomy is what? If we have the summary being love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor, and we see that that simply summarizes the Ten Commandments, we see that that is the law that dictates our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. But there's something interesting about those laws. Those laws, we can call them simply principles. Principles by which we need to live by to show our love for the Lord and our love for, for one another and our neighbor. But even as principles there, it still lacks applicability. If I were to say to you, love one another, you would say, that's great. I want to love one another. But then if I were to say to you, well, go and do it. You'd be like, okay, let's love one another. But the question will always come out to what? How? What does it look like? What does it look like, for instance, in this passage? Thou shall not steal. Well, here in this passage, the applicability is what? Is if you hire someone 
whether it's a brother or a sojourner, you are to pay their wages before the sun sets. That's the application. Because they are poor and they need the money to go and buy the food and find shelter that, you, they, that they need. And if you do not do so, you are guilty before the Lord. Now, in our day and age, you know, we tell businesses and we tell one another, right? In order to love your neighbor, if you are a boss of a company, we don't say pay your wages before sunset. But we will say what? Pay your employees fair wages. Do not steal from those who are working with you. And so the application is different. We're not going to take this passage and say, well, if I own a business, that means every day before the sun sets, I need to pay um, my employees. The moral law that we see applied here in Deuteronomy 24 and, and, and other parts of Deuteronomy as well, as you read them, don't look at them and say, oh, therefore, we need to follow these line by line by line by line by line by line. <clears throat> but what they are is applications to a particular culture, to a particular time. But pointing to the principle that we see in the Ten Commandments and ultimately that, that great summary, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And so I encourage you, you know, when you read Deuteronomy and you, and you see all these applications of the moral law, don't say, well, that doesn't apply to me so I can throw them away. But read them and say, how great it is and how insightful it is for Moses and for the, this nation to not simply throw out principles and, and just talk, but to really get down to the nitty-gritty of things and to show fairness and to show justice and to show love, to really talk about what it means not to steal not to covet. What it means to honor someone, in this particular instance, who works for you. And so we as God's people, when we read the Ten Commandments, our duty is not to simply look at them as great principles and say, this is awesome. But our duty is to think through in our particular day, in our particular age, particular people around us. What does it mean that I should not steal? What does it mean that I should not covet? What does it mean that I should love them? And this is something that we as a church together need to think through and act upon to create traditions of love that really communicate to to the people here and the people who come visit, that they are indeed highly esteemed by us and that we want to treat them with respect and treat them with mercy and treat them with grace. But we see in the moral laws something that's very much in line with the other laws, whether it's the ceremonial laws or the civil laws. We see the imperfection of us as human beings being able to keep the law. 
ceremonial law, what did they see? They knew that the sacrifice, I believe the sacrifice of animals, that they knew this is not enough. How could the blood of just an animal truly reconcile me to the Holy One of God? How could, how could that possibly appease my God? They saw that the civil laws were, 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 were ideal, but were not working. They wanted a king. God says, I need to be your king. God says, okay, here's, a, here's the, uh, uh, the requirements of a king, and, and no, no one meets it. Everyone's failed. And then the moral law that we have here. God commands us, desires us to love him with our whole heart and to love one another. But yet we know that we fail. That we know that we steal. That we know that we covet. That we know that we do not desire God as we ought to. And the beauty of this law is to show that the beginning of God is grace. He gives us the law to remind us that it's all grace. But in redemptive history, there's still that disconnect. It's like, God, you're all holy and you give us graciously. And here's this, these laws that you've given us that we need to keep them to, to realize that that we, we are loved by you, but also to keep them for us to realize that this is what you demand from us. Yet you're going to forgive us anyway, but the sacrifices don't make, really make sense. The civil government, we're, we're, we're disobeying you for the king. And even this, these moral things, we're not doing what you want. And yet you still love us, but some, there's a disconnect. Someone has to pay for these things. Something has to pay. Someone has to pay for these things. It's, 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 it's got to come to a head. You ever see, perhaps, uh, you know, when I see the older generation, the immigrant generation who, who moved here to the States and who, you know, because of language issues, um, you know, they, they gave up a lot to come here. And the, the first immigrants that came here in the, in the 19, after the act of immigration in 1965 and in the early 70s, you know, especially from those from, um, from, from Asia, when, when, when the doors opened up to Asia, <coughs> we had to realize the first immigrants were not the wealthy, because why move? You have everything. They're not the poor, because they don't have the means to get over here either. They were the upperly mobile people. They were the people who had enough resources, but not a lot, but also have the, uh, um, the, uh, um, the, what's it called? J j just not intelligence isn't the right word, but just the savviness to, to get through the system, to come over here. And so they come over here, and they have children like, like me, and they sacrifice and they give a lot, and they give unconditionally. And that we as children, as you grow up, you don't know what's going on. All you know is that my parents love me unconditionally. They've given me all that I need, even more. But it's not until you grow up later that you realize 
something was given up. Something was sacrificed. There, there was a debt to be paid. And it could be the fact that, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, people of my parents' generation, they went into major debt and bankruptcy for their kids because they were paying for college, they were paying for all this stuff that, that they couldn't really afford. Or you saw their health deteriorate because they're working 80 hours a week for their children. See, no, nothing is free. Even though we receive from our parents loving, loving things from them, nothing is free. What God has done for us in, in redemptive history, we see God's going to say, I'm going to save you. Here are these things that the laws I'm giving you for you to understand this. And we look at it, and we, as we get older, we're like, this doesn't make sense. How can you love us so freely? And yet there's all this debt to be paid because we're not, obviously we're not keeping the laws that you want us to keep. And that's where we start to understand that God in his timing was waiting to send his son Jesus. And it's in his son Jesus that all the laws have been fulfilled. Now, we, we can look at it different ways. And one of the ways, well, the last way I want to teach you to, to understand, to look at this, is to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? Messiah simply means anointed one. Okay? Anointed with oil. And the only, in the Old Testament, there were only three offices or three positions where people were anointed in order to hold this office before the Lord. They were one was prophet. They were anointed with oil. Second was priest. You were anointed with oil. Third is king. You were anointed with oil. Messiah simply means anointed one. What we see in Jesus when he, when he uh, fulfills the ceremonial laws is that he fulfills the office of the perfect priest one who is a sacrifice, and one who offers a perfect sacrifice. In fulfilling the civil laws and being able to rule over all the earth with justice and mercy, he fulfills the civil laws, being the one who is able to rule with justice. And in some sense, I know I'm, it's, I'm fudging just a little bit, the moral law, to be able to speak righteously and to do righteously, to proclaim when someone is not following the Lord and proclaiming the right words to correct them in following the Lord. It's his role as the prophet, as the one who is the perfect prophet to speak true things to all people. And so if we look at the laws, we, we look at the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment or the embodiment of that. That God's grace and free grace is given to us because Jesus has fulfilled all of those. And so what he gave us from the beginning, after the fall of Adam, he was waiting for it to be paid when his son Jesus came.
And that's the story of the Old Testament. And that's why we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, it says, Christ has become sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That Christ followed Jesus' moral law to, to perfection. And so, so doing, fulfilled all righteousness. And so doing, was able to give to us that perfection. We no longer live as people trying to figure out the economy of God, of grace and law. It's, it's all fulfilled in Christ. We no longer try to figure out the, the, the books of salvation. We're no longer accountants trying to figure out how much more do I owe God or how much has God given to us. We, we look at the books of our lives and we see that they are balanced before God. That Jesus has fulfilled all things. That, that all we need to do is simply trust in him and everything has been taken care of. Brothers and sisters, I know it's pretty easy to look at the civil laws and say, you know, okay, that's, that doesn't apply to us anymore. It just means going to church and, and submitting to the church leadership and loving one another. Okay, that's, that's good. I can, I can handle that. The ceremonial law, you know, to simply believe that, you know, Jesus Christ is the one who, who died for our sins and that we don't need to make sacrifices anymore. Okay, that, that makes sense to me. But we still live in a world today where we try to really earn God's favor by either living a moral life or the bigger danger is by demanding the moral life from someone else. And the second part is the danger that we have in our society today, in our church today. You know, when you look about you, we often don't want people, well, sorry, we want people to grow in Jesus. We do. But what does our flesh want more? We want moral living from the other person. They're going to love from Christ. And more than that, we want them to learn how to love me. more than to love Jesus. You see, moral living on your own nowadays, I, I believe in our culture today, that's not a big deal. But the bigger deal is demanding that from others to treat me in such a way that I can deem them as someone who's growing in Christ. And we have to realize that we are not the arbiter of whether someone's growing in the Lord that how they treat me is the only way that we can see whether someone's growing in the Lord. But what we need to see is the bigger picture of whether they trust in Christ for their salvation and are struggling joyfully in the whole totality of their life to walk with the Lord. 
And so I encourage all of you, instead of trying to want to change somebody to serve you, to change someone to be a more Christian spouse towards you, <laughs> to be a more Christian father towards you, or to be a more Christian friend towards you. To simply desire that they grow in Jesus. Demanding morality from someone else is not gracious living. Our duty before the God is to encourage that person to not look at me, but to grow in the Lord. And the beautiful thing about that, brothers and sisters, is very simple. If you push that person that you love in this room or you love towards the, towards the Lord, you yourself grow in understanding the love of God. And they start to love God and believe it or not, love you more too. You see, we, don't, we, we, we can't demand moral games anymore if Christ has truly fulfilled all things. And he has. But there's a command for us as well as God's people. <clears throat> we see that the, our, our books have been balanced. That's our justification by faith. But God wants us to live a life of joyful obedience to him. And that joyful obedience really is moral living in a way that honors him, in a way that brings him notoriety, in a way that brings him um, um, fame to the people around us. And so we are to love the Lord our God with all our whole hearts, souls, and minds. And I encourage you. Bathe, remember the, the, the bigness of God's love for you. And respond likewise. Be that person who reads scripture reads the stories of God and tries to understand his mind and, what he, and who he is and what he's done for you. Stop going on Facebook or Instagram and just looking for nice quotes to make you feel better. Stop searching at scripture and just trying to find that one verse that will make the difference in your life. Spend time with them. Spend time with the Lord. Be that person who, who actually prays and prays deeply to God. You know, I think we, we all agree in, in this day of age, you know, when, we, when, when something terrible happens, you know, people will always say, my thoughts and my prayers are with you. Or, hey, I'll pray for you. And we all understand that those are just empty words a lot of times. Hey, my, my prayers are with you. But pray. Go, Lord, my friend, he's having a tough time right now. 
You know him and you know his heart. You know what's going on. Lord, please just show your grace in his life. Help him to see that the things around him are, you know, they're difficult, but that you are there with him. And Lord, by your wisdom, either take that thing away or, or better than that, just help him to know that you're there present with him. Lord, only you can do this. Please help him, Lord. And then send a nice text to them and say, hey, not I will pray for you or hey, prayers and thoughts to you, but a nice text that says, I just prayed for you. And I know the Lord's going to answer. Hang in there. Our God is good. Love the Lord. Spend time with him. And as you do so, you'll see the bigness of his grace for you. The second thing is really do love your neighbor. You know, in Luke 10, 25 to 37, it's the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. <coughs> and the lesson of the Good Samaritan is basically that we as religious people, we don't really help others. But the Samaritan, who is, uh, was an outcast, who didn't have the promise of Israel, he was the one who helped other people. And the lesson there is simply that all of us should be helping people and loving people no matter who they are. You know, I, I do stress when we read scripture that there are parts of the Bible where it's talking about how to love the brothers and sisters in this room, fellow Christians. And then there are parts of the Bible that tell us how to love people who do not know the Lord yet, but who, to whom we want to show grace and mercy. And this passage is called, they're called the sojourner, the people who are just passing through, looking for work, looking for a place to stay. And the lesson here for us as God's people is that our duty in terms of showing love to the Lord and our commitment to him is by loving our neighbor as well. Who is your neighbor? It's everyone. And anyone that you meet. It's your enemy. It's that person you have common interest. It's your coworker, it's your boss. That God wants us to treat them with love, with mercy, and with dignity. You see, the church is given sort of um, two hands, if I can put it that way, in terms of their duty. One is the duty for us to spread the good news of Jesus. And, and we should be doing that. We should be sharing the gospel with people. But the other hand is to simply love our neighbor. And both have to go hand in hand. You can't extend just one hand without the other. But God's people is, a, is, a, is known as the people who give mercy to the outsider, mercy to the sojourner, mercy to those who do not have the promises of God, 
Mercy to those who are suffering. Mercy to the widow. At the same point in time, extending the good news of Jesus. And that's what we are to do as God's people. To always extend the heart, our heart of grace to all. The laws of God. You do not have to keep them to earn your salvation. The laws of God. They are to point you to the graciousness from the very beginning of what God's given you. The laws of God. They confuse and confound us without Christ because we know eventually someone's got to pay for all these sins and, and, and these mistakes that are happening over and over again. And we come to Christ who makes the Old Testament and the demands of Deuteronomy all make sense. Law and grace together in Christ who has fulfilled the law and has graciously given all of you salvation. Our duty, the law is there never to destroy us, but it's there to help us to show love. Go forth. Show the love of God to people. Go forth. Love God himself. And let this church, let this ministry be known for that. The last couple of things. There's a little bit of an addendum here, but um, I just wanted to encourage all of you with, with a couple of things. I love this passage, verse 14 through 22, <coughs> because I think it's still applicable for us. And I want you to hear it, especially for those of you who are business owners, who are looking to be small business owners, um, who have... Um, aspirations as well. You see, even businesses are to show mercy. And, and I love this passage. It says, you know, listen, if you have an olive tree and, and you shake it for its first harvest, you're not, to, you're not to shake it so you take them all away. You take every last bit. When you have a field and you harvest it, you are to, you are to go back and harvest every last bit of, of wheat. But you're always to leave some behind for the poor, for the fatherless, for those who have nothing. And for us as people who have businesses or people who, have, who, who work, who have an income as well, our job is when we, when we have, when we earn this money, when we have it, we are not to suck dry every last penny for ourselves. But we're always to leave some behind to give. And this isn't even the, the, the this isn't even the tithe that we're talking about or giving to the church. We're just giving to the poor. Giving to our neighbor. And this isn't talking about giving loans and 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 in Deuteronomy, there's, there's, a, there's a section where it talks about you can loan people but just to brothers and sisters, but just don't charge interest. We can talk about that later on for today's day and age. But we're talking about what? Just giving without expecting anything back. 
And so for us as God's people, the, the economy of, 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 our, of our money should be, should be the same way, should be likewise. Um, you know, I know that some of you, you, you know, when you drive off of 85 ramps, there's always that person begging for money. And I know that there's been like, there's been fraud. You know, we, we always see those things on, uh, on, on news channels about, well, this person really isn't poor. He's just scamming the people and stuff. And, and we, we get so jaded. Like, I guess there is no real poor people. I guess there really isn't anyone who deserves anything. You know, if we go with that attitude, we will never give. Because there's no such thing as the deserving poor. We can look at those very well-crafted stories in the news or wherever. But you know what? If you were to go investigate fully that person's situation, you could find a reason not to give. But that's not our job to discern. Be generous people. Be generous to a fault in that instance. That's the love that the Lord wants us to show. Lastly, talk with one another. Wrestle with one another here at this church about what love looks like. And it'll be interesting because, you know, our church right now is, is predominantly Asian American, okay? And there are some things particular with being Asian American where the way that we show love is, is, is very unique. And then there are some that's very universal. Food to me is universal. People like food. What's very particular about the the the, um, the Korean culture is the how many times you have to ask someone for food. You know, someone says, hey, would you like this? You've got to say no at least three times because it's not loving to say yes the first time. We as our, this culture here at Christ's covenant, we have to produce our own language. We have to produce our own ways of, of expressing love that we all can understand. And we all have to be able, I mean, we all have to take part in that as well. And so what is sort of unspoken, we need to speak up about. When you're hurt by something that our church does, you need to speak up about it. And in many ways, you know that it's not intentional. It's just that we don't know what love looks like. And so be understanding be vocal and honor one another that God's love may live here. Let's pray.